0: This week's Labyrinth Library podcast is brought to you by Audible.com. Get a free audiobook download at www.audibletrial.com slash lablib. Over 100,000 titles to choose from for your iPhone, Android, Kindle, or MP3 player. Hello and again, welcome to the Labyrinth Library Podcast. You're well. I'm going to go on the assumption that you are well. I'm great because as of today, as of tonight, I should say, I'm now on my spring vacation. I've got one week off. I don't know what I'm going to do with it. I should go somewhere, find some nice uh, quiet place to go and and sit and relax. But really, all I want to do is just that, sit, relax. I have some reading I need to do uh, to prepare for my new classes that start in like a week and a half. Right now I'm working my way through Bruce Chatwin's book In Patagonia, which is a travel memoir of his travels through South America. It's really interesting. It makes me wish that I didn't hate traveling as much as I do. Because, you know, I'm reading this and he's basically wandering about, you know, walking from small village to Hamlet and meeting whoever he meets and sleeping wherever he sleeps. I don't think I could manage that, but he makes it sound pretty cool. But... Uh, I've got things to do, lessons to plan, things to work out, so why don't we get started? Uh, As we all know, it is the last Thursday of the month, which means it's time once again for Wheel of Time, the penultimate book, Towers of Midnight. And I gave you a little trivia question last time, and it was about one of the Ashaman. The Ashaman, of course, are the men who can use the one power. They were fated to go mad for a very long time, but that got fixed, and they've kind of grouped together to form their own... Uh, sort of counterbalance to the Aes Sedai. So I said uh, that there's one specific Ashaman character that Brandon Sanderson was given free reign with, more or less. Uh, Before Sanderson started writing the books, this guy existed, there wasn't much known about him. But Sanderson was given permission to basically, you know, take him and go. Uh, And he did. And I did get a correct guess, or a correct answer, I should say, uh, from Marissa in the U.S. once again, who guessed that it is Androl, and androl is especially good with gateways which allow you to travel from one place to another very quickly and he does some really interesting things with them in the final book but we'll get to that when we get to that let's get to this and i want to say right now in case you haven't guessed this review is going to be kind of spoilery uh you know as it's, it's it only came out a few years ago if you haven't read it already then you probably shouldn't be listening to this just yet unless you're you are you just finished the book but there's going to be spoilers. I can't really get around that, but I'll try to keep it uh, as light as possible. So I found this book kind of difficult to review, actually, for, for a few reasons. Um First of all, reviewing it, writing a review, doing a review on the podcast, I think is kind of like preaching to the choir. I mean, if you've read this far into Wheel of Time, then you really don't need me to tell you that you ought to read this book. You probably already have, maybe more than once. If you haven't started the series, there's just so much information you need to know in order for this book to make sense that this review will have no real significance for you, and in fact, you probably shouldn't be listening anyway. So I'll just have to tell you what I thought and hope that's enough. And again, if you haven't read the series but you're thinking of reading the series or you've just started the series, then you may want to hold off on this. But as with all the Wheel of Time books... A lot happens in this volume. Some of the events have been anticipated by the fans for more than a decade, and others are wonderful surprises, actually. Either way, they are setting us up for what will probably be, and what is, I can tell you by now, the mother of all finales when Memory of Light comes out or came out. This is the problem with doing reviews that I wrote some time ago. Uh, the tenses are all wrong. Live with it. Anyway, let's begin with Perrin, since he actually gets the most page time in this book. Now, he rescued his wife from the Shaido Ail, along with a city full of refugees and former prisoners. Now, despite what he wants, these people look to him to be their leader. It's something he wants no part of. He just wants to send everyone home, forget that he was ever called the lord of the two rivers, and go back to leading a normal life. But you know how it is, the wheel won't let that happen. Paranaibara is Tavarin, one of those individuals who both shape and are shaped by the pattern, and what he wants doesn't much figure into it. And honestly, one of the issues I've had with Perrin as a character is this steadfast, stubborn ignorance or, I don't know, willful ignorance or refusal to acknowledge or whatever of who he really is. For many books now, he's been going through this whole, I just want to be normal phase, when it's obvious to everybody else, his wife, the people traveling with him, the dead wolves he talks to, to say nothing of us, the readers, that Perrin can never lead a normal life again. As with real people, it's frustrating to see them deny what is so clearly true, and that was one of the reasons why Perrin uh, honestly has never been my favorite character. He turns around on that in this book, though. He does finally start to make peace with who and what he is, and understands his duties to the people who follow him. With that understanding comes strength, the strength to win over his greatest enemies and to master the abilities available to him in the world of dreams. Perrin is finally coming into his own as both a leader and a warrior, and it'll be good to see him look forward to the future finally instead of longing for a past that he can't have anymore. Now, Matt is another character who's kind of been getting under my skin. While I love the way that Sanderson writes him, much funnier, more sarcastic, more modern, I think, than Jordan wrote him, he also wants nothing more than to opt out of the role that fate has decreed for him. Throughout his travels, he's been granted centuries of knowledge about battle and war. He's gone toe-to-toe against creatures that literally defy human understanding. And he has a power over luck and fortune that has saved him more times than he can count. Yet he still resists the destiny that's clear to everyone to be a leader in the last battle. And I understand that's one of the fundamental steps in the whole hero's journey. It's just I think it was maybe drawn out a little farther than it needed to be in the case of these two guys. And that battle, by the way, is, of course, coming very soon. Vast armies of shadowspawn are overwhelming the northern defenses, turning whole cities into killing grounds. Food is rotting at a rapid rate, sometimes as soon as it's prepared. The very fabric of space and time is twisting, moving things around randomly. Rooms, streets, entire villages might shift and vanish in the night. The Dark One is nearly free, and there are very few options open when it comes to stopping him. Randall Thor, of course, the dragon reborn has one idea, to break the seals of the Dark One's prison so that it may be resealed. Rand's opinion, however, is not very well regarded at the moment. Despite being the prophesied warrior on whose shoulders the fate of the world rests, he's been kind of an unpredictable nutjob of late. In an attempt to be ready to save the world, Rand tried to distance himself from all emotion, all ties to the world, so he would be hard enough to do what must be done when the end times came. He has done terrible things in the name of what must be done, which has led some to fear, both the readers and in the book, that the world would be doomed, regardless of who won the final battle. He's feeling much better now, though. He has come to a state of understanding that should allow him not only victory against the Dark One, but also some measure of peace. Unfortunately, it's going to take some time to convince others of that, especially Egwene, Formerly the girl next door, now the amulet seat, leader of all is Sedai. Having ended the internecine feud, am I pronouncing that right? Internecin, Internecine? Now, ah, whatever. The sibling rivalry, whatever, within the White Tower, and begun the process of reconciliation, Egwene finds herself at odds against Rand and those who follow him. She agrees with his ends, victory over the Dark One, of course, who wouldn't, but not his means. If necessary, she will stand against the dragon reborn all the way to the end of the world. There's so much more, too, that I wish I could tell you, but I'm not going to, because that would be wrong. There's action scenes between Matt and the vicious Gollum that made me wish that I had an animation studio at my disposal. There's a heartbreaking reunion between father and son, a terrible vision of the future of the Aeil, should things continue the way they are, ragtag armies barely holding their own, people who we thought were dead revealed to be alive, sons reunited with their mother, battles against the forces of darkness, mislaid messages a daring rescue, a growing army, and so much more. The complexity of Wheel of Time is understandably off-putting for a lot of new readers, but I think Sanderson is doing a very good job at putting all the pieces together. We are now on the brink of the end. We are ready to dive into the last battle in the much-anticipated Fourth Age. Questions will be answered, people will live, nations will die, and the Wheel of Time, as it always does, will turn. Stick with me, folks. It's only going to get better. So let me give you a quote from the book. Uh, as I said I think Sanderson in general is a funnier writer than Jordan was. Uh, I think I mentioned that last time it still holds true and this quote made me just stop and laugh. Um, it is by it's spoken by Aleandre who is the queen of Geldon I think. And she spent some time in captivity and in this scene it is revealed that one of the women they've been traveling traveling with in Perrin's group is Queen Morghese, the former Queen of Andor. Nobody knew this until this book. Somehow she'd kept it hidden. In Aleandra, in her shock, she says, After what we went through together, it turns out that she's Morghais Tracand, Not just a queen. The queen. The woman's a legend. And she was here. With us. Serving us tea. Poorly. So... There's a lot of lines like that, a lot of just little precious moments like that in in the Sanderson books that I think uh, I wish we could have seen throughout the whole series. But that wasn't Jordan's style. What are you going to do? Okay. As always, of course, you can go to audibletrial.com slash lablib. And you can start your free trial membership with audible.com and get a free book download. And you can download this book if you like. It's a good long book, which means you'll certainly be getting your money's worth. If you want to stick with the service, then you can get all the Wheel of Time books. They've got them and thousands and thousands and millions and billions and trillions and quintillions more. So audibletrial.com slash lab lib. Support the podcast. Get something to listen to. Make yourself happy. Okay. Next week, we are getting into uh, April, the month of renewal. Classes start again. It'll be good fun. But next week, we are going to look at a book of essays. It's a fairly new book, and it's written by uh, a cartoonist who has done some of the most venomous, angry, frustrated comics of the Bush presidency. Um, He's one of my favorite Artists. And he's one of those guys who kind of trips the little switch in my head, kind of like Matt Taibbi, of I agree with him too much. And anytime that happens, I start to get suspicious. But this guy, uh, his cartoons just nail it dead on. And this is kind of an interesting memoir book that I enjoyed. So, uh, great cartoonist, did a lot of political cartoons, but absolutely vicious and bitter and wonderful. So tell me if you think you know who it is and what the book is. And we'll find out next week if you're right. Indeed. Okay, so I'm going to finish up, wrap up here. I'm going to get a head start on my vacation. I'm playing Bioshock. I know I'm doing that because the new Bioshock Infinite book, uh, book, huh, game isn't available here until next month. So I figure I'll play the first two games and then get that one. But thank you all very much for listening. As always, I greatly appreciate it. I look forward to hearing from you at some point, and I will talk to you all again next week. A text version of this review will be up on the blog thelablib.org, along with any relevant links I can think of. If you have anything you want to say or any suggestions you'd like to make, please leave a comment and let me know. If you have a book you would like to recommend, I would be happy to hear it. If you'd like to send me an email, send it to Library at gmail.com. And if you like what you hear, please give a review on iTunes, become a fan on Facebook, or follow LabLib on Twitter. This podcast is covered by a Creative Commons attribution, non-commercial, no derivatives license, so feel free to share it. But please don't sell it or change it. The music is courtesy of Kevin McLeod at www.incompetech.com. Thanks for listening. I'll be back next week. And until then, keep reading.